All right, good morning. Good to see everybody here at our main campus. Welcome to you guys that are joining us online. So before we get started, just a quick reminder, if you haven't heard, uh, whether through the app or through the announcements or social media, Grow Night is going to be happening here coming up. And so if you haven't signed up for a Grow Night group or you don't know what a Grow Night group is, um, we'd love to give you some quick information. So Grow Night is an opportunity for us here at Life Church. If you've never been in community or you never have got to know people here at Life, it's an opportunity for you to get together, study a certain topic, and build relationship with uh, people here at Life Church. Because again, you know, it is what it is when there's two services. It's hard to always know each other, hard to be in relationship. And so we love for people to get in relationships. You can sign up uh, to get into one of our Grow Night groups uh, via the app and or through the cafe. Here's the other cool thing. So if you guys online didn't know this, and I'm pretty sure we here uh, at the main campus don't know this, for the first time ever, as we're thinking through how do we try different things to expand influence, for the first time we'll have two online groups this time. So we have a campus pastor out in New York um, that's going to be running one of the small groups for us online for women, and then Rob Hollinger is going to be running one of the small groups online for men. So it gives us an opportunity for people that are joining from, you know how we talked about the reach of the online community um, last week in our business meeting, so how do we get them in community, or how do we get people in community that way? So a great opportunity for people to sign up and be involved in that and be a part of that as we continue to try to figure out how do we continue to bring people together um, out of rows, into circles, and allow God to do amazing things. All right, starting a new series, and the idea is to try to give you the why behind the series. So why would we do a series called Original Design? Well, here's the why behind it. So if you look over the course of uh, the history of me being in ministry and, and maybe you guys being in life church or being in church, one of the things that you've noticed is, is that, or maybe haven't noticed, and I'll bring it uh, to the forefront, is, is that we have problems that we haven't had on a scale that we have right now ever, right? So it used to be, in church, we would talk about this for like, hey, you know, we need to address um, the, the, the church because we have a fatherless generation, right? And everybody would be like, yeah, we have a fatherless generation. Let's try to figure out how to get on the men and get them back involved. And even though they're in the home, they need to be fathers. But you know that shifted, right? So no longer do we just have a fatherless generation. We have a parentless generation. So, and when I say parentless generation, I'm saying two people can exist inside of a home and not be the parents that God has called them to be or designed them to be, right? Because at the end of the day, culturally, and this is the things that we're going to look at is, is that, you know, because God designed very clearly that parents are supposed to train up their children, right? And so when we look at the design, the design is train them up. And we have lots of parents that, again, are with their children, but when it comes to training, man, no way, right? And you know why, right? Because it's way easier. We know this. I think we know this. Well, if you're a parent, maybe you can relate with me, or maybe not, but here's the thing to think about. I think it's way easier to keep them out of jail than it is to train them up, right? Like keep them from getting in trouble, Anybody else that's a parent? Like, just give them enough rules that they don't end up in, you know, 
really bad places. You know, training just takes getting to know your individual kids because they're all different and they all need trained up in different ways. It takes time, right? Lots of time to train. It's just a difficult process, but again, something that biblically, the way God designed it is that's what parents are supposed to do, not just raise them up, get them out, and so you can enjoy being an empty nester, right? So that's a problem, and we got to figure out, you know, how to address the problem. And here's the other thing. I didn't say this in the beginning. I kind of forgot, but I want to make sure that I say this. So in this series, one of the things you're going to find out, if you didn't know this already, I have lots of opinions, and (laughs) you'll hear them. So here would be my suggestion. Don't get your feathers too ruffled on my opinion, right? Let the ruffling of your feathers happen when Scripture speaks to you. Right, because I just have an opinion, and it's just going to be the opinion. You don't have to like be like, does he want me to agree? Nope, you don't have to agree with me at all. Just an opinion of where I see things. But when it comes to scripture, we need to allow scripture to do what only scripture can do, which is sometimes it ruffles the feathers, right? It convicts us in ways that are difficult to deal with. So as we go through this, just I forgot to say that to remind you, if you're new here and you didn't know I had a lot of opinions, they come out. But we want to separate my opinion away from what scripture says so that we can learn together. Does that make sense? Okay, here's the other one. So not only are we, you know, struggling with this parentless generation, you know, we're also struggling with relationships, right? Just relationships in general. We used to be, we'll talk about Divorce and what's going on and why are people getting divorced? And I would say, you know, that isn't subject, but I would say let's also talk about marriages that are staying together and they don't like each other. Like you're in the same house, but your marriage isn't thriving in the way that God designed it to thrive, right? So instead of just looking at the problem being the ones who called it quits, what about the ones that are keeping them going, but they're not operating out of the design that God had for their marriage? Right? Who's just getting by because they're told to get by and they're wondering what it'll look like if they get a divorce. Right? So what would it look like to go into that realm? Like we need to, to figure out inside of marriages, how do we go back to the design of man and a woman so we can flourish in relationships? You know what? Another funny statistic? 12% of all young girls surveyed in this survey only 12% of them were still, they were virgins in high school, were still virgins after college. Only 12%. Think about this. In high school, middle school, virgin, living, doing, surveyed afterwards, only 12% of them. Now, listen, we're all like, how did that happen? Have you ever been to the college campuses? I mean, not maybe your college campus, but other college campuses. I mean, people are getting hammered and having sex all the time. Well, like, this is commonplace. Like, nobody sees it as a big issue. Not nobody. Fewer people see it as an issue, right? And so we get these kids that they're, they're inside of high school, and I'm going to, so this is an opinion. This is my opinion. So inside of high school, young girls, you know, you had your mom and you sat down and your mom talked to you about sex and like, sex is bad. You know why sex is bad? You're going to get an STD and you might get pregnant. You might, right? So like, don't, don't have sex. It's terrible. 
And I'm always like, no, actually, sex is really good. <laughs> Here's what you need to teach him, right? Sex outside of marriage is bad. Sex is good, right? Sex outside of marriage, and you know why sex outside of marriage is bad? Not because of an STD and not because of getting pregnant. You know why? And this is what I'm saying. Moms, this is what you say to your girls because it does something to your heart. And you know why we don't want to have the conversations? I don't know why you don't. I mean, again, you want my opinion of why you don't want to have the conversation? Because no mom wants to sit there with their daughter and say, you shouldn't have sex outside of marriage because it does something to the heart. Let me tell you what it did to mine. Ain't no mom sitting with their daughter saying, yep, I had sex outside of marriage, and this is what it did, and this is how it affected my marriage. Like very few, they're like, we can't admit to our kids that we made mistakes. I'm like, that's the whole problem. Right? That's the whole problem. It becomes taboo and you don't want to talk about it. And how about here was the original design when it comes to sex. And when we operate outside of the original design, this is what it does to your heart. This is how it affects you emotionally. The things that, that we should talk about, right? Things that we should discuss. Like these are problems. Well, also, if you're in the workforce today, I mean, this isn't across the board, but I think most people would say this is a problem today. It's hard to find people to work. Anybody like that's in the workforce today? It's always like everybody's hiring, and we're like, what happened to everybody? Where did all of the people go? Like they didn't all just disappear, right? Like there used to be a workforce. Now there's a gap in the workforce. Did they disappear? So again, you want my opinion? He's <laughs> like, no, I don't want your opinion. Here's my opinion. <laughs> you know why there's a gap in the workforce? Because parents were okay with their kids staying kids. It's like the Peter Pan thing, right? Like, I don't ever want to grow up. Is there another degree I can get? Like, is there just another degree I can take? Is, can I just stay in college, right? Can I just stay where I have zero responsibility? Because it's hard to be an adult, right? You know, and here's the thing, right? Like, I would agree with them. So if you wait to train them to be an adult until it's time for them to be an adult, they're going to be completely lost, you know the whole training thing? Like, again, back to what I think. Like, I think training starts when these kids are 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 years old. Teach them to have some responsibility, and parents are like, I can't, they just need to be kids. And I'm like, yep, and they will always be that way. Like, why not give them some responsibility? They actually can run a washing machine. You might not know that, but they can actually do their own laundry. And if they ruin their own clothes, guess what? They can buy their own. Like, that's what happens. Like, you work and you do and you learn. There's responsibility before, because here's the deal. When they're in that place, they can fall back on a safety net. And you know, you're the safety net. When they're out of there, there is no safety net. And they don't know what to do because they've never dealt with being an adult. Right? They don't understand what those things look like. So a problem, because the original design, we already know the original design. right? Men were made to work. Train your boys to work. Period. Like they're supposed to work. There's nothing wrong with working. Right? Nothing wrong with training your kids to be hard workers. Like that's the way, and we'll get to that later on. But, so we have this list of problems. How do you address them? 
right? Like, how do you address all of these things and all of these scopes? And Because I don't think you can just do a series on marriage and be like, let's do a marriage series. And so just have a date night and, you know, do this or do that. Or let's do a parenting series and you can figure out how to discipline your kids or how to train them up and do your kids. Because I think the problem, here's what I think the problem is. I don't think the problem is you don't know what the right things to do inside of your marriage or the right things to do inside of raising your kids. I just think that we have got so far away from the way God designed it originally that this seems natural and right and you're never going to change. Does that seem right? Like we've gotten so far away from what the original design because here's why we're doing this series. Here's what I believe. Inside of scripture, there was a design that God made for human beings, male and female, and that when we operate outside of the role of our design, your life will flourish when you're inside of the design. Did I say it right? Because everybody, I said it wrong. That's what I thought I said it wrong. Because everybody's looking like, are you an idiot? Like, <laughs> it's not what you're saying. Okay, God designed us in a certain way, and if we operate inside of his design, there you go. <laughs> Operate inside of his design, your life will flourish. And when I say flourish, I'm not saying everything will be perfect, but you'll be in God's will. Okay? So we'll flourish. Anything outside of God's design, anytime we operate outside of God's design, there'll be pain, there'll be suffering, and here's what I want you to see, probably bigger than anything. There will be generational Generational, not just inside of your family. Generational consequences for living outside of the design of God. It's not just going to affect your family. It's going to affect your kids' family and your kids' family and their families. And the generation after generation after generation because of our choice to live outside of God's design. Now, the great thing is you can break that. So if you're here today and you're like, man, we've been living outside of the role or the design that God has, and I don't want it to have generational effect, then we can change, right? Like we can change and we can break the curse. We can break the generational things that are happening by going back to here's the way that God designed us and here's the things that we need to do. So if you have a Bible, I want you to turn to Genesis 1. So that's where we're going to be looking. So Genesis 1, 1 through 2. Now, here's the setup. So I'm going to give you the setup for the rest of the, the sermon outline, just in case, because I know some of you are out there saying, I need to invite my friends, right? So this is how it usually works. So I'll give you the sermon outline, and in your mind, you're going to be thinking, that's when so-and-so needs to come, right? My suggestion is, is maybe it's for you, but you probably should invite your friends too. So this week is foundation. So we're going to lay a foundation for God's design, what he designed, and how we should understand it and live with it and how to operate inside of the world. That's this week, foundation. Next week is how did God design men, right? So we're going to look at how did God design men, and here's what's going to encompass. So if you're out there and you're a young guy, right, you know, you're wondering like, maybe I shouldn't come because I'm not a man yet. Well, this is going to give you the principles and the tools of what God said how to become a man, and how he designed you to be a man. If you're somebody trying to raise up young men, this is an idea of what, what you need to do for yourself and how you need to raise up young men. So we're going to look at the design of man. Then we're going to look at the pitfalls. That's the next week. So then the next week is, so what are the things that are keeping us from being men? Because you hear this all the time, right? Where are all the good men? Well, I'm going to tell you 
where they are, right? Like, I'm going to say, like, you know why we don't have men where they need to be, right? It's this reason, right? This is the reason that we don't have it. And then we're going to say, how do you redeem mankind? So what's it look like to redeem man, right? And how do we get them back to the way that God designed them? Then we're going to look at women, right? How did God design women? What are the where are all the good women? Come on, men. You heard them laughing up here. Aren't you going to be like, amen. Come on. We're all those non-crazies, right? They're all up there saying, where's all the good men? And all the men are like, where are all the women that aren't crazy? Come on, guys. You won't say it, but it's true. It's true, right? So to be like, here's the, here's the woman the way God designed it. Here are the pitfalls, right? How do we make sure that, you know, we have good women or the way that God designed it? How do we redeem women from the redemption standpoint? Then we try to bring it all together at the end. Sound good? So we'll go clear back to the beginning, build the foundation, and work our way through. And I'm just praying that our hearts can be open to the things that God wants to do and helps us see and understand not only how we were designed, but how we can take that design and interact with the world. So here's Genesis 1, starting in verse 1. Laying the foundation. Genesis 1, starting in verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Now, this is foundational for a couple reasons. Like, we read over this, we're like, yeah, in the beginning, God created. Cool, right? But I think what's happened is, is we've lost our awe factor of, like, God created. You know what I mean? Like, God, the creator, took nothing. Like, think about this for a second. He took nothing and breathed everything that you see into existence. We, like, if you look at creation, you should be in awe of the creator. But you know what the problem is when we look at creation? We get in awe of the created. Does that make, do you see the difference? So we look at creation, right, and the awe of creation, and we don't point back to be like a magnificent, beautiful, incredible God spoke that into existence. That is awesome. He designed it. He made it. That beauty, it all comes from his creativity and his design and everything that he made, right? Instead, we're like, oh, look at that created being and here's what what happens is when we look at creation and don't give credit to the creator we worship the created right so we start worshiping the created and you know what the other problem is the other problem is is that when you get a problem in life right if you don't look at like the creator who designed me very specifically and very uniquely and when I have a problem guess where I'm going back to When I am in awe of the creator and the designer and know that he specifically designed me, where's my first conversation when something's not right? Hopefully. The designer, right? The one that made you, the one that put you together, the one that gave you all of this, you go back to that person. But you know what the problem is? Because we worship the created, you know where you go when you have a problem? To the book or the person or the podcast that can give you the answer you want. You see, because you know what's going to happen when you go back to original design? Because we've kind of fallen away from it. 
We've kind of fallen away from what it means to, to be a man and a woman based upon what God says. So what happens is, so instead of keeping the bar there and say, but this is the way he designed me and I need to work on it and I need to get it figured out because I'm not a man of God. I'm not a woman of God. I'm not a child. I'm not working towards being, I'm not training up my kids. So instead of keeping the bar up there and saying, I need to, to do some work, you know what you do? You lower the bar to the point of saying, oh, this person said on the podcast, this is what it means to be a man. This is what it means to be a woman. This is what it means to have, have marriage. And this is what it means to, to raise your kids. And this is what it means because you realize the one that designed knows better than anybody else. Hopefully. Like we know that the one who created or designed knows better than anybody else, but yet our first instinct, and I get it, so don't, don't hear me say that this isn't natural. Like how natural is it to go to an unseen God when you got a problem with your kids? Like that's not natural, is it? That's what I'm saying. You're going to always have to fight against what's natural, right? Natural says, I got to talk to somebody who has some kids like me. I got to talk to somebody who's had some problems like me. And I'm not saying you shouldn't, right? Like you should seek out advice. But the problem becomes is that if you can't, if this advice goes against the design, it is wrong. I don't care how good of advice you think it is. That's hard, right? Because there have been some people that give some pretty good advice. But you realize that advice goes against Scripture, or that advice goes against design. And, and the part of the problem is, is, you know why these people can get away with this? It's because when we talk about the design of man and the design of woman, most people in the Christian church today say it's not relevant anymore in the 21st century. Yes, no, right? Like, I mean, that's archaic because I can just remember that, like, this is a series we did a long time ago, and it was the first series we ever did where people protested. Like, we had people show up outside of the door. We had people tweeting that we've set women back 50 years and that Life Church is like ruining women by doing this series and having these things. And, and you know why? Because again, all we said is this is the design of a woman, this is the design of a man, and this is the design of a biblical marriage. You can just say you don't like it and you're doing it some other way, but you can't write off what Scripture says about being a man, being a woman, and what your marriage should look like. Right? You just can't do that. That's not fair, right? We have to go back to what the designer said. I don't care how I feel or what other people are saying. I always have to err on the one who designed me and created me. Like we got to go back to that, even though it's difficult, and try to figure out those things. Being in awe of the creator helps us get that done. And knowing this, forever in your life, you will struggle with this tension. What God called you to be and what the world says is okay. Because what, from the beginning... In the Garden of Eden, Satan said, can you really trust God? For all of your life, you will be trying to answer this question. Can I really trust him when he says this is what I should be as a man? Because you know how hard it is? This is what I should be as a woman. You know how hard it is? This is what I should do inside of a marriage. You know how hard that is? And then it's going to be the world's going to say, well, don't trust God. Trust me. This is the way you should do it. That's going to be this constant tension. Okay, so starting with this foundation, do you trust 
Are you in awe of, and is he the authority, the one who created you? If he is, then we can move forward, right? We can start looking at what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman, how he designed us. So again, now going to Genesis 1, we're going to be looking at verses 24 through 31. And he shifts a little bit in saying he created all these things. Now he's going to give you two important factors. He created them male, female, and he created them in his image. Why is that important? Because you can't just read over that, right? From the foundation, it's really important to understand why he put those things in here. So let's read it. Genesis 1, starting in verse 24. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals and over the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image, and in the image of God, he created them, male and female, and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw that uh, what he had made, and it was very good. And, that, that, and there was evening and uh, there was morning on the sixth day. So he set it up, right? So here's what he saw. It set right from the beginning. Okay, he set a rule, a, a, a rule or an order. Like he is a God who sees things in orderly fashion. Okay, so this is important foundationally. He set it up like here's going to be the order. So there's going to be mankind, and then mankind is going to rule over all of creation. Does that make sense? So he set up this order, and this is going to be really important. Because you have to see that God is not a God of disorganization. God is not a God that didn't set things up to work together. God had a purpose and a plan for the way that he set up everything, right? So he set this up from the beginning with an understanding. Now, this should be an easy understanding, I think, but I don't know that it always is. Mankind is the pinnacle of God's creation, okay? Mankind created to rule over Everything else, meaning animals, birds, dogs, all of that stuff, right? So we know this by nature. So here's the nature. So let's just say you have a family, and inside of your family, you have all of your kids, and, and you have a dog, right? And all of a sudden, you know, there was famine, and people were running out of food, and you had to ration your food, right? Nobody in their right mind says, okay, was it Johnny? Is it Jimmy? Is it Sarah? Which one do we get rid of? Because we got to keep Fido, right? Like nobody's thinking about keeping their dog over their children. Some of you just looked at somebody else and like, that's a problem. Like it's a problem if you're going to value animals over humans, right? Like that's... 
That's an issue because inherently we all know that you better not pick the animal over your kids. Now, I get it. Like, I am a lover of animals. Like, I love animals. In fact, I've always said this. You know, one of the greatest things about being in the calf barn, you don't have to talk to people. People are sometimes terrible to talk to. You go in there and you're at the calves. You don't have to listen to anybody. You don't have to talk to anybody. Nobody talks back. Like you can just be in there by yourself. Right? So I get the whole like sometimes it's hard and you want to get away, but you can't value animals over people. Right? So he sets up a, 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 rule, a role or a rule of how that works. And it's going to come to play when we get further into he also gave a role for a man and he also gave a role for a woman, right? Like how it's supposed to work and how you're supposed to interact together. So knowing that he's not a God of disorganization. Then he goes on to say, listen, and you are, you know, and should understand that you're an image bearer of God. What implications does that have? Well, here's the first one. I want you to think about this. He knew from the beginning that it was going to be difficult for people in the world to understand an invisible God. So when you go out there and you be like, hey, you should believe in God. He's up in heaven and Jesus who died on a cross for you. I know you've never seen him. I know you never interacted with him. But you should actually trust your whole life with him and just give everything away and trust every decision that you make to him. How many of your people are like, I'm in? <laughs> you see, we don't, actually they say they're in because we never say it that way. They were just like, do you want to go to heaven or go to hell? Which one are you in on? They're like, oh, I'm heaven, right? But that's not the gospel, right? The gospel is surrendering your life, becoming a follower of Jesus Christ, being in relationship with him, and then for eternity, you're going to spend it in heaven with him. That's the idea. So he knew this was going to be an issue. So he knew that if mankind was an image bearer of him, that the first Jesus that people could see is you. And some of you are going, oh, yeah. And some of you are going, oh, crap. Because, you know, there's a dark world that's watching you. There's people that are disconnected from, from Jesus that are trying to get it figured out because God said in a person's life, he will make himself known like an urging and a, like, I, I want to know. And you know where they're looking first? You. The question is, what do they see, right? For all of us, because you know, many times in the same week, we're going like, oh, yeah. And oh crap. Like you had a good week? Anybody ever have those good weeks? Like people watching me this week, they're seeing Jesus. They saw me last week. They saw a lot of other things other than Jesus, right? But there is a real reality that it's not about having all of your life right, it's demonstrating a lifestyle of showing Jesus. It's not weeks, right? But it's a lifestyle. Now, so there's implications on how people view us, but there's also an implication of how you view other people, right? So what's the implication of us thinking or us viewing you created in the image of God or anybody that you look at created in the image of God? What's the implication? Well, here's the first one, right? The first implication is then when I deal with people, you will deal with them differently. You know how or you know why or how it works out. Here's how it works out. See, naturally, if you view a person as a child of God, right, then you help them see what Satan has covered first before you try to fix all of their problems. Does this 
making sense. I want to make sure this makes sense because naturally, if I walk into a relationship, right, and I'm inside of this relationship, my first priority is to peel back the layers that Satan put on. Because you know what the layers that Satan kept putting on? You're a sinner and you've fallen short and you're doing and you don't deserve and this is what you deserve and you'll never be and you never can be and you'll never be a husband, you'll never be a father, you'll never be good, you'll never be, you know, you know what I mean? Layer after layer after layer and then the result of that is you've made some bad choices and you know what Christian people do way too often is they're trying to fix the bad choices before they're trying to fix the root of the problem which is I need you to see yourself the way God sees you. That's the root of the problem. I'm going to interact with you because I believe this. If I tear the layers off, I believe the rest of the problems will fix themselves once you see yourself the way God sees you. Like, I think if you get that stuff off and let God, you get to finally see yourself for the way that you were designed, those issues that you have in life, I think, will start to go away, right? And the things that we start doing will go away. You know, the other piece of it is, so when, when our worldview is people created in the image of God, right, then how we treat people is significantly different, right? So not only is it how I see you, it's how I treat you, right? And this is the, the difference, right? So we're going to talk about this in a second when it's not right. But when, when it's right and I see you as a child of God created in the image of God, I will love you without a transaction. Does that make sense? So I'm going to love you whether you love me back or not. Why? Because you're created in the image of God. I'm called to love you. Whether you give me something back or not, I'm going to be in relationship with you because you're a child of God, not because I'm going to get something out of the relationship. I'm going to approach you. I'm going to interact with you with no thought that I'm ever going to get anything in return. I'm going to interact with you. Why? Because God made you. And that's what he told me to do is interact with you, be in relationship with you. So I'm going to do those things, right? And I'm going to make sure that I'm in that relationship with you without any thought of return. I'm not going to get anything back. When the worldview is you were created in the image of God back the way it's designed. You know what else? So when we have a worldview that helps us understand that everybody's created in the image of God, we also expect people to be godly. See, we're going to see this in just a second, but you know what part of the problem is? Is, is that because you have, like, you forgot the design that you were created in the image of God and you're supposed to uphold that, like, you're the image of God, like you're supposed to uphold those things. You know what you've done? Like you've put the standard, the standard was up here. This is what the Bible says. And then over a period of time, you know what you've done with the standard? You lowered it, right? And you know why you lowered it? Because you can never uphold this standard and so you need to lower it because, you know, at the end of the day, there isn't an expectation of being holy. It's just being seen as good. You see the difference? You see, holiness is determined in the eyes of God, not by culture. And so to feel good about yourself, you just lowered the standard of what God had, and now all of a sudden you're feeling good, but you know what happens with this? So you brought the standard to here, and now your kids are here, okay? And so now all of a sudden your kids, you know what your kids are going to do naturally? The same thing you did. You know what you did? Lowered the standards to you know what? Guess what? 
You know what's happening in culture today? Everybody wants to know. Why do we have all these people that call themselves Christians but are never following Jesus? You know why? Because the expectation used to be here and then you brought it down to here inside of your family because you thought it was okay. And now kids are like, there haven't been any expectations in my family. All I'm supposed to do is show up to church and I'm good. I don't need to be a follower of Jesus and I'm going to go to heaven. You are now living without any expectation. Because somewhere down the line, you've just kept lowering it until that lowering it was okay and there is no longer an expectation and no longer do we, right? This is really important. You see, for me, it's not about whether you're good or not good. So when I talk about I have an expectation of godliness, it's not whether you're good or bad. You're all bad. Me too. So it's not good or bad. Holy is pursuing with all your heart your Savior, That's what it is. That's holiness. Pursue Jesus. Show your kids what it means to pursue Jesus. And you're going to have good weeks and you're going to have bad weeks. But show them a pursuit of holiness, right? Show them what it looks like to navigate hard times. Now, here's the problem. Now, if your worldview is shifted, okay, so no longer are you looking at people in the image of God, because when we look at them in the image of God, we know that the world will flourish in those things, right? Now let's flip it. So let's flip it and say now that everybody in this room doesn't have the worldview that people are created in the image of God, whether you're Christian or not Christian, everybody uses the worldview that they've been given, right? Instead of people being created in God, what do we see? Well, first of all, we see how people view people. You know how people view people? Through the lens of being judgmental. And you know why? Because in the context of what they see, right, is what you hold important, they're not doing, you're judging them for not doing it. Right, so you become very judgmental for people in the way that you approach them and the way that you talk to them because your idea is I'm good and they're not. Do you see that? And so you start pointing out to them like, Just FYI. So you start pointing out to them, well, you know, you have this problem and this problem and this problem, and you're thinking, well, as soon as I tell them all of the problems they have, they're surely going to get better. (laughs) FYI, that doesn't work. Reminding somebody of how bad they are doesn't change anybody. Pointing out somebody's failures, they're not sitting there like, huh, Thank you, Jesus, you finally told me I'm a loser. Like, I didn't know. Like, you finally, I really didn't know this was bad. We all know. Like, dude, come on, we know what we're doing isn't right. It's not helpful. But you know why the other, you know what the other problem is? So when you view people through the wrong lens, not the way that we were designed, not only are you judgmental, but you know the other reason you're judgmental is because to elevate yourself. Because you think that, again, the world is determining who you are and what your standard is and where your place in society is by how good you are. So what you do is when you see somebody else, you point out how you're better. You ever been around any of those people? Well, you know so-and-so does. And you know why they're telling you that? Because they don't. Nobody's sitting in a circle being like, well, you know, so-and-so does this, and so do I. 
right? Nobody sits in that circle. Everybody sits in the circle to talk about the things that you're not doing and that everybody else is so that in that circle, you know what happens to you inside of that circle? We're all good. Look how much better we are because you know what you're searching for is acceptance inside of a culture for who you are. You know what the problem is that? You were never designed to be accepted by this world. Your identity was never made to be found inside of this world. Your identity is in Jesus, not in other people. You don't have to prove yourself or put down anybody else to know who you are and what your identity is. Your identity is in Jesus Christ, and that's where you're going to find it. But when you flip it, you don't see that. You know what the other problem is? So when we have that worldview, so you know how we talked about how we deal with people. So when we deal with people, we, you know, we would treat them and love them without transaction. You know what happens when you view people in the wrong way, not in God's design? You view people as an object. So now all of a sudden, people are to be used for your pleasure and your happiness, right? Anyway, I thought about this. Do you ever think about this? Why are all the strip clubs full? Like you didn't know? Like you ever drive by them? Come on. Like you drive by them, they're not lacking customers, right? Lots of people in strip clubs. Why? Right? Because we can talk about this in a lot of different ways, but why are strip clubs full? Because men viewing women as objects for their pleasure and their happiness and that they could buy it a dollar at a time. All the people out there that have been to strip clubs are like, mm-hmm. <laughs> that just ain't true. That ain't true. <laughs> this is for sure true. Pay a little bit more money, you get a little bit more than just on the pole, you get them in your lap, right? I mean, this is truth, and I'm just saying it because this is what's out there. You can use people as an object to get what you want. And newsflash, it's not just the men. Those terrible, perverted men in there tucking dollars. Well, there's a woman on the other side of it that also knows she can use a man to make money. Those women are up there like, this is way easier work than waitressing. (laughs) The tips are way easier on this end. And hear me say, I'm not discounting people that are doing it out of hardship. I'm just telling you, It's transactional. Does that make sense? So I'm not discounting why people are doing certain things or all the problems that go into behind it. What I'm telling you is when you don't see people created in the image of God, you use people to get what you want. Your kids, your husband, your wife. Like I've said this all the time. Bring it back into your own family, right? How many wives, okay, have withheld sex from their husband because their husband isn't loving them well? Well, until he does. I know you don't want to talk about it. This is true. Transactional, right? Well, he just hasn't been loving me well. Yeah, I know. I know. Sometimes we're terrible. Sometimes we don't love well. Sometimes we don't do. But, it, but is he an object to make you happy? The same as men, right? Are men supposed to treat their wives as objects to make them happy or love them regardless of what they're doing? Both ends, right? Inside of a relationship. Same with your children, right? Our children aren't there for our happiness. 
right? Kids, your parents aren't there for your happiness. It's not a transactional environment. Like the only time I'm going to talk to my mom and dad is when I want something. That's what happens when you don't view your parents in the way that God views them as children of God. They're not there as a transaction. They're not there to be your servant. They're there as parents, as children of God. That makes sense? Right? Now here's the last one. So the worship team's going to make its way back up. And I want you to hear this, okay? Because you know how we talked about in the beginning that um, we should have an expectation that people are godly, right? Well, inside of that, when you view people in the wrong way, you have no more expectations of what it looks like to have a godly marriage, a godly relationship, a godly man, and a godly woman. You've given up on it. Anybody? Right? Like you've looked at it, and when we don't see that, that people created in the image of God, that are image bearers, that have God through Jesus and the Holy Spirit living in them, we've given up on the idea that there should be a standard to be a man of God. There should be an expectation to be a man of God. There should be an expectation to be a woman of God, and it's okay. It's okay, right? Because I think this is pretty easy. Like, I think all of us would agree with this. Most women are out there is like, we gotta get the men to step up and live out their biblical calling to be the men and stand in the gap and do, and we need more men of God. Women, you're all like, yeah, where's all the men? The Bible says you're supposed to be, Right? And you should expect that. Women, you should expect your man to be a biblical model of what God's called him to do. You should be training up your boys, not just to be good athletes, not just to do well in school, but how to treat women. Right? Like you should be training them up to understand what it means a godly man and the things that he's called to do and the things he's supposed to be. And we're all jumping on board with that. So women, have an expectation of a godly man. Young girls, have an expectation of a godly man. We're going to see this later on. Like, what does a godly man look like? And I want to I make sure that you understand this. Godly men aren't people that know and can recite Scripture. Because I know plenty of godly men who know Scripture, come to church, recite stuff from the Bible, and they are awful, terrible people and treat women terribly. Godly men aren't people who are religious. Godly men are people pursuing the heart of God and loving women the way they deserve to be loved. It's a godly man. So men, if you're out there and you're like, I don't have that expectation of me. I can barely read the Bible. It's okay. It's okay. That'll all come. Pursue Jesus with all of your heart and the rest of it will come. Right? Now, here's where it's a kicker. Men, you can expect to have a godly wife the way the biblical, the way the Bible defines it. And, and listen to me. Everybody's like, yeah. So you didn't hear any men going, yeah. Where's all those biblical women? You know why? Because they've been shut down by women. 
They wanted it. Like they wanted and desired what the Bible says about a biblical woman and the things that God's called them to do and how it's supposed to work. But then they talked about it like, this isn't the 1900s. This isn't the way it's done anymore. This isn't. And so don't even have that expectation. Anybody? No men are going like, because I'm just telling you, this hasn't been accepted anymore. What God says about men and what God says about women and what women and what God says about marriage and how it should all work together, we are so far away from that culturally that it's hard to even think that this fits anymore. But you can't erase what Scripture says about it. Right? And I just want to give you a couple things. Women, if you want your husband or the men around you to become godly men, be nice to them. Preach! How about this? Be kind. Because sometimes, just, just so you understand women, it's not very helpful when you remind us that we're not. It doesn't help. It doesn't help. You know what helps is reminding us who we are, not who we are. Through kindness and through love and allow God to do the work, you can't fix him, right? And men, with your wives, take enough time to have the conversation, to sit down with them, to talk about something other than nonsense, Right? Talk about things that matter in the scope of eternity. And through those things, you'll see your wife or your person that you're in a relationship with become the woman of God that he's created you to be, and you'll see beauty in your marriage. Will you stand so I can pray for you? Heavenly Father, we just come to you thanking you first that um, we can go back to something. Isn't it great to be able to go back to the original design, how you designed each one of us and so that we can operate out of that. Lord, may we be reminded to be in awe of you, your splendor, your glory, that we'll never worship creation over the creator. Lord, we worship you. And Heavenly Father, I pray that you give us the courage to let our hearts be open over these next six, seven, eight weeks of what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman and how we can bring these things together. Change us, Lord. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen.
shout your praise our hearts will cry these bones will sing great are you Lord. Sing it out. and all the earth will shout your praise our hearts will cry these bones will sing great isn't he? We worship an amazing God that even when us in our malehood or our femalehood, when we fall short, God doesn't. God is the faithful one. In 2 Thessalonians 3, 3, it says, but the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. He is faithful. Let's sing this out today. maker, promise keeper, you finish what you Your plans are for your glory. 
For this service, what a great way to end. He's never changing. So we can go back to his original design and we can trust him, right? And as we move forward and we start to dive into what are the things that need to change, we can always come back to this. We serve a God who never breaks his promises and never changes. And if we operate inside of our design, we will flourish. So again, thanks for joining us here at our main campus. Thanks for joining us online. We'll see you guys next week.